Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well. Because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm happy to announce that I'm working on my next book. The title is Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again for Men. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors. And in this book, I'll explain eight of the 14 and how they specifically relate to men. And of course, I'll include my own personal fatigue story, along with four or five other stories from real fatigue cases from my private practice. This book should be ready shortly, so keep an eye out for it. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm very excited about this week's show because my special guest is Lisa Lieberman Wang. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Lisa is the author of the best-selling book, Fine to Fab. She is a breakthrough expert and the creator of the cutting-edge neuroscience called Neuroassociative Programming, or NAP. She created NAP for you to be able to heal in a short period of time, avoiding years of therapy with a proven model to break through whatever is weighing you down. Using this technology, she has helped thousands of people overcome lifelong emotional challenges like depression, anxiety, stress, self-sabotage, emotional eating, shopping, sexual abuse, and codependency with her proven seven secrets to fab. Lisa, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thank you, Dr. Carey. I'm excited to be here. So first, can you explain to our listeners what you mean by fine to fab? Because I know that's an acronym. Yes, and I hope our listeners can take a PG rating and go to R for a moment. And fine is actually how I used to feel. And that was effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional to fabulous, awesome, beautiful. So we came up with fine to fab. I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love it. Oh, okay, so tell us, what are your seven secrets of going from fine to fab? Well, it always starts with learning to fly first, and to me, learning to fly is first love yourself, Mm -hmm. and I truly believe that every one of our situations, whether all the things you you kind of covered before sharing a little bit about me, all come from a a a normal base point of not loving ourselves. If you love yourself, usually you wouldn't hurt yourself. You wouldn't say bad things to yourself. You wouldn't hurt yourself with food or alcohol or spending or put yourself in situations that don't fulfill you. So it really comes from learning to fly. And the first step in the seven secrets of fab is acknowledging fear and doubt. And a lot of us 
in the past for me, but a lot of people I work with, you know, might know there's something wrong, but they still don't want to own it. Mm-hmm. And I know you even talk about reclaiming your energy and feeling normal again. I mean, people have a lot of different things where we do things just to feel familiar, but not necessarily good, not necessarily uh, moving forward or having a lot of reasons of where we want to be, but never being there. Um, would you like, did you want me to go through the seven secrets? or? Yeah, or? if you don't mind, yeah, going through oh, them, okay. absolutely. Okay, so the first thing I think is, is acknowledging fear and doubt. And, you know, I know a lot of people might acknowledge, yes, I need to lose weight, yes, I need to do something, but they're still doing it. And I always say there's a big difference from knowing and knowing. Like people will say, well, I know this is not good for me, but I don't believe they actually know it's not good for them if they're still doing it. Exactly, so the, yes. <laughs> The knowing becomes, okay, this is not good. Now I need to change something. And that's a big piece of it. Uh, the second is taking inventory of life lessons and beliefs. You know, there's a lot of things that we do and never thinking, is this, is this really right or wrong? Does it work for me? It doesn't work for me. The, the premise is that 55% of our beliefs were formed by the time we were five years old. So you're not even making your decisions. 45% were formed by you. The challenge with that is that some of these beliefs might not even serve you. You know, I remember, you know, we were told about the tooth fairy. Well, if they lied about that, they might have lied about other things too, right? I found out it was my parents. Mm-hmm. Well, so they, they also, you know, told us all kinds of different things that might have been limiting for them. I believe the word in the middle of belief is lie. And these are the lies we tell ourselves. We can tell ourselves good lies or bad. It all becomes our choice. But taking inventory of what those lessons and beliefs are are critical in moving forward because a lot of times we're working automatically and don't even realize it. And I mean automatic, meaning on an unconscious level. Can you say that statistic again? Before five years old? 55% of our beliefs were formed by the time we're five years old. 55%. So the majority of us have these beliefs that we don't even realize that they're there. And they're just sabotaging our lives. Yes, and they're really by well-meaning parents or guardians yes, that yeah, put it there. Yeah. And I, I don't blame them in any manner. I mean, they were giving them for whatever reason. I mean, you think about it, when you're young, you're told, don't talk to strangers. And that was a good belief to have, right? You might have been abducted. You couldn't take care of yourself. But as an adult, think about how many adults are in business required to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel comfortable with doing so. Well, where did this belief come from that they can't talk to strangers? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. That's a really good, yeah. So it really becomes looking at it. I mean, I remember a lot of the different stories I was told growing up, whether it was don't ever rely on a man, and obviously I didn't have good relationships for years with that kind of philosophy and belief, right? It's like, how are you going to have a great relationship when you're already coming from a negative disposition thinking, you know, don't trust them. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to be there for you. Make sure you take care of yourself. Well, obviously I don't live there anymore, but that was something that was brought to me down from generations of my mother saying, make sure you're successful so you don't have to rely on a guy. And I did. I, and matter of fact, I was divorced once and I had to pay to get out of the marriage. So I didn't have to rely on a guy. I was so successful, I had to pay him. You know? mm-hmm. so, now, I know we're only on uh, number two here. Yes. Um, but I, I know that a lot of our listeners probably, probably right now are thinking, okay, I... I get that I probably have some 
beliefs, some deep-rooted beliefs that I don't even realize are there, but how do I find out about them so I can stop the self-sabotage, so I can eat more healthy, so I can do the exercise to lose the weight, yada, yada, yada? Well, the how you do it is, is, is first going to first step is acknowledging. If things aren't working, we have to look at what's not working. Mm-hmm. And then we have to look at what we're saying to ourselves. A lot of the self-talk is the reason. Realize that our unconscious doesn't know the difference between fact and fiction. So a lot of people will, you know, you'll turn around and say to yourself, I'm so fat, I'm so fat, I'm so fat. So your unconscious job is to make things faster and easier. So you keep saying, I'm so fat, I'm so fat. It goes, oh, she wants to be fat. Okay, I'm going to make it easier. And then instead of you turning around when you see something and saying, this isn't good for me, it's not very healthy, you'll look at a piece of chocolate cake and you'll be able to rationalize and go, oh, you know, this is good for me because it's chocolate, it has antioxidants and it has milk in it and it has eggs. Those are good, the protein, right? And that's good. And we start rationalizing it because we are doing a self-fulfilling prophecy we have to acknowledge our fears and doubts and the way these things happen to take inventory of belief is whatever you're complaining about the most is usually where your beliefs are lying so if you're saying there's never enough money or you think there'll never be enough food or you'll never feel full you'll never be enough you don't never feel loved this is part of your belief system that's being fulfilled and you have to look at where you're focusing that would be one of the easiest ways to look and take inventory. During a program that I do, Dr. Carey, I actually have a 10-week transformational program where we literally go through people's model of the world, how they've made decisions, what worked and what didn't, and, and break it down to the, to the infinite um, point where we can actually, I should say that finite point, where we can actually see this has been a pattern, and that's where the neuroassociative programming comes in. You know, if we could program a computer to do what people do, why can't we program people to do what other successful people do, right? Right. And I think a lot of us understand that the mind is a really powerful thing, but we're not quite sure how to harness that tool that we have right up there between our ears. And it's only because we work on an automatic system. You know, our mind actually always goes back to familiar. So if we've done something before, it seems like it's right. Even though it might not be good for us, it's familiar, so we go back to it. Or I say we go back to fine. But the fine is not necessarily good, right? It could be my fine mm-hmm. or other people's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you talk a little bit about what is neuroassociative programming? Like, can you give us... Uh like a real coaching situation of somebody that you worked with to kind of, you know, for our listeners to know what uh, a session would be like? Wow. A session would be like, it. every session has been different. I don't think I've had one that actually becomes indicative of all the others. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've had situations where I've, I have had one client specifically who came to me and she came to me more because of her daughter. Um, her daughter was not happy, dropped out of honest society, was concerned about her weight, um, wouldn't communicate with the family, everything was wrong. And she came to me to help her with a daughter. And then when I got to know her, I realized that the problem wasn't within her daughter, it was within mom. Mm-hmm. And mom had a lot of stories and beliefs, wanted things to be perfect, so much so that she was running her house as if it was a military and her daughter really just finally rebelled and said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And I'm, I'm gonna, she became defiant, mm-hmm. she became defiant because it was her only means of being heard. 
So for us with this situation, you know, my client had to start looking at, you know, what was some of the things going on for her and what lessons and beliefs were putting forth that made this where the communication had fell apart, like what worked and what didn't, what changed. And we had to start breaking through some of the toxic meanings and emotions, which is number three in what we do, and finding out where some of the stuff came from. And for her, she had come here from another country, had a lot of beliefs of being successful. She was successful. Um, and, you know, she got degrees. She's multilingual, all the other things. But she felt she had to work hard and do things a certain way, and she thought everybody else had to do it the same way. And when we realized what was the driving factors, what was actually causing some of these things, we had to start breaking through those patterns and, and reconditioning it, giving her new things to replace it with. See, when we take something off our plate, we got to put something back on. Mm-hmm. So and something her, good, put something good back in. That's specific, yes. Mm-hmm. It has to be something better that's going to be more fulfilling, that's going to help get you where you want to be, that will make you even happier and so forth. So we started realizing that some of the challenges she had was, Honestly, when she was younger, she was sexually abused by several people, by some boys. And she had believed that when her daughter was rebelling and doing all those things, that she must have had the same situation and that's why all this was happening. Because what we do is we look for familiar again, right? Mm -hmm. So she was already putting her story on her daughter. Well, when we found out that these beliefs weren't true, and we obviously made sure it wasn't not just saying, oh, can't be because it's yours. But we we did some investigation, found this none of this stuff was true. They were all stories or lies she was telling herself. And what it was is that was her way of just making herself feel okay. And when we started questioning everything that she believed to be true and started really evaluating and seeing it was different, she started uncovering these unconscious patterns that she was creating, and we gave her new skills to interrupt them, whether it be... Um, daily rituals that we created, asking better questions, you know, what else can this mean? Um, Also, the awareness, where a lot of times people are in a trance. Now, when we're doing more cognitive behavior type therapy and they're looking at what it is, the the outcome from all this was quite amazing. Um, Her daughter is back in honest society. Her grades are amazing, but the relationship they have today is phenomenal. Her, she herself, who was thinking everybody else was the problem, um, had gone up to over 200 pounds, and she had lost over 40 pounds um, uh, wow. because she was using all these other things as excuses instead of looking at herself, right? So she had lost over 40 pounds. She's um, Actually, it was more than that. It's over 70 now, you know, over this period because she's, you know, even after the thing. So she's down over 70 pounds. And her relationship with her husband is amazing. And I mean, it's so much so that her husband turned around and said whatever she's doing and however she got this relationship with his daughter and how she's feeling so great about herself, I want to do it. So he ended up becoming a client. Mm-hmm. I know we're in such amazing positions that we we get to help people, but it's more than help. We can see them transforming, like just morphing, you know, from a caterpillar into a butterfly in front of our eyes and how that one change then has a domino effect in the family on the spouse on the kids and then into the community we are such we are in such amazing positions like that to be able to help people so i really thank you for sharing that story so that our listeners have a better idea of how this whole process can work and the the deep effects it can really have so i know we really got off on a tangent there so we were on (laughs) 
step number one and step number two, and then you kind of briefly got into step number three there. <laughs> yes, and and you know, and that all goes together. I mean, it's it's not it's not any it doesn't have to be one two three. It's not in any specific order. It really is just the fact of of somebody being in a position where they're not happy, they're looking for more. I mean, statistically right now, I just heard a new number which just blew me away. I knew that the people who are unhappy or or claiming to do depression, I don't say they're depressed, I think they're doing depression, um, has increased 400% over the last year. Wow. And the irony about that is a couple years ago, the numbers was that there was 25 million people a year in the U.S. I know you're in Canada, uh-huh. in the U.S. that were going into the doctors for a prescription for depression, and 90% were leaving with an antidepressant. Uh-huh. So the worst news about it is that out of the people that were getting antidepressants, they still found that most of them were still depressed. As a matter of fact, the studies that they did in the U.K., which has managed care, just like Canada, uh-huh. found that the people that were medium or mildly depressed and antidepressants didn't have any noticeable changes. Mm -hmm. They had to be severely depressed. Hence, antidepressants don't work. And the reason I say that is I was a statistic. You know, for 13 years, I was put on antidepressants, anxiety medications. I was on 13 prescriptions a day by the time I was 30. And I'm today 52. Mm -hmm. Today, I'm on no prescriptions. And the difference is that even with the prescriptions, I was still depressed and it was because I was doing depression not that I had depression it was something that I actively was acting out with physically emotionally mentally in every manner I chose to not be happy and I think today there's a lot of people who just choose not to be happy and use that as their means or escape or their excuse for not being where they want to be instead of taking themselves you know up by the the shoe straps and and say okay I'm going to make this work what do I need to do that's where all these all this changes. That's where, okay, we understand there's a problem. Okay, we, we spend years, and sometimes I was put through that cycle, years in therapy and everything else. It's like, yes, I acknowledge I have a problem, but tell me how to get out of it. And uh-huh. that's, that's really what it is for us when we're working with my clients. And I say we, because I have a faculty of seven people now that work with my clients. Uh-huh. I'm so glad that you brought that up about depression, because in Canada, we, we do have an epidemic of depression. And especially where I'm, where I'm situated in uh, Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada, it's it's a very, very much a hotbed of depression, unfortunately. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on my show today is to help give people some tools and some advice on how to really get to the root cause, because that's part of what functional medicine is, is really getting to the root cause and fixing that. And I can totally see with the system that you've put together, and their neurosystem the neuroassociative programming, my brain was working a little bit faster than my mouth there, <laughs> the neuroassociative programming um, that you're really helping people to get to the core to make a change so that they can totally change their lives. Absolutely. And a lot of the times, like I said, we're in an unconscious state of not even knowing we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where a lot of the work we do is more not introspective of why something happened. I, I don't have an interest in why. Um, we could all, because really the why we have is this our interpretation of the truth. It might not even be the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just understanding how our brain works, and that's where the neuroassociative comes in, is 
you know, your brain is working like a file cabinet. And what it does is it accesses everything you do, and it looks for ways to file things away, and it looks for what's familiar, puts it in a folder, this works, this works, and everything else. Well, what you see in your experience is only the representation of what you believe is true. It might not be what's true. And it just explains that when you have different siblings growing up in the same house, and they're very different, but they grew up with the same experience, right? Right. Okay, so getting back to the seven secrets, I think we're on number four now. Well, yeah, three was breaking through toxic meanings and emotions. And the way to do that is, again, we realize we're doing it. We have to shatter them, and we do them in a lot of fun different ways. And it could be doing scrambles. Um, In other words, we're saying something, make it totally ridiculous, blow it so out of proportion that you realize that it just can't even be true, and then to really replace it with something more empowering. Um, Number five is uncovering unconscious patterns of behavior. And I already alluded to some of that. The easiest way to do that is, one, to realize that our brain is like um, Freud's iceberg model. You've seen, like, you've heard the expression, it's only the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm -hmm, Right. So people always see what's on top. They see what's visible, what, what's happening, the, but the what people are doing. But they don't understand below the iceberg is the why. That's the motivation, the attitudes, the behaviors. That's all the stuff that's fueling it. And I always like to think of our behaviors or our beliefs like a tree. And if you looked at a belief tree, that is like your foundation is, is what you do and, and why you do it. The trunk of the tree are your values. Of, of, you know, what's important to you, it's integrity, your truth, and things that actually will drive you, and then the, what's in the tree itself are the fruits of your labor. Realize that the unconscious patterns and behaviors is what's driving the fruit and what's coming off your tree. So if you're very successful, it's because you've been feed, you have good roots. If you're not where you want to be, it's because you've been feeding the wrong roots. Mm-hmm. I love and, that analogy. And a lot of people will turn around and they'll say, let me just go get my nails done. Let me do my hair. Like, let me dress the tree differently, but it doesn't take care of the roots. Mm-hmm. And, or they'll cut off a limb, but it's still going to come from the same foundation. We, gotta, we have to literally eliminate the tree mm-hmm. and, 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 create a, and plant some new ones, some new seeds that will give us some new results. That's the only way it works. And, I mean, the best example I can give you is from my experience. So, um, I, I pretty much grew up in a traditional dysfunctional family where everybody said disparaging words, and I grew up with nicknames like AH, which is asshole, and I had turns to disease, which meant that um, everything I touched turned to shit, according to my father. And he would say all these things, and for most people, like that really disturbed me, and I had a very low self-esteem, didn't really value myself, didn't think I was worth very much, and he gave me reason to believe so. But in his beliefs, he just thought it was funny, and, and he thought that if he'd say things like that, I'd try harder. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, for him, it was nothing, to, it wasn't that bad. Now, my brother growing up in the same house had similar stuff, but for me, the way I dealt with it was through stress and trying to be perfect and doing everything in my means to make sure that he was happy, but to no avail, never, you know, not realizing there's no such thing as perfect kids and trying to be one. Um, knowing that, the interesting piece about it is, you know, I had to turn around and change my beliefs about myself. You know, I realized that this wasn't a reflection of, of who he was. He did his best. He just didn't know how to raise kids, mm-hmm. you know. But growing up, my impression was there was something wrong with me instead of saying what he was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the other piece was he did everything he could to protect me, and I still dealt with 
uh, date rape by the time I was 16 and was sexually abused by an employer at 18. And when when he found out about it, he wanted to kill the people. But prior to that, I I was told not to tell him because I was told he'll he'll kill me instead of the fact that he'd kill them. So these are stories that I was told and made me really reaffirm. Remember, we looked for what's in the air that there was something wrong with me that I did wrong, and. Over the years, I spent years hurting myself, and I used food. I ended up becoming bulimic, a binge eater, compulsive overeater, and really, truly hurt myself for 13 years, um, hospitalized over five times, inpatient, actually six, um, which was not like a day or two, but months over years, and was looking for the answer to what's wrong with me to finally find out after spending over half a million dollars in, in every kind of form to find out there's nothing wrong with me. The only thing that was wrong was I was listening to the wrong people and I needed to change the stories that I was telling myself. Uh-huh. You know, When I did that, life changed. I have 21 or 22 years that I don't really count anymore of not hurting myself. I no longer do bulimia or compulsive overeating or binge eating or anything else like that. And I end up getting a lot of clients who... That, you know, that might have actually been challenged with food prior and then they get off the food and they end up dealing with retail therapy. They start spending money to feel better. Um, I think there's a big piece of understanding how to really get to the point of, of loving yourself first so that you don't need all these extra external factors or vehicles to meet your needs. So in that respect, like I said, I was my first client. Let's go back 30 years, right? <laughs> you know, and for for a lot of health practitioners, we really are our first clients. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I apologize for the cursing. I mean, that's it's okay. The, the <laughs> what's there, but, you know, I, I used to say to people, you can't BS the BSer, you know, because if, if I'm, you know, I was spent years lying to everybody and, you know, it was like, you can't bullshit a bullshit artist. And back then, you know, I had a lie. I'd, I'd eat food in the in the house, and, and they'd say, who ate it? And I'd, and I'd go, I don't know. And, of course, I knew it was me. I was consuming upwards of 18,000 calories a day at one point in my worst stage. So I was dealing to be able to afford my habit, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, for the, the patients that I see in my office at Functional Medicine Ontario, I see a lot of patients that have depression and anxiety. A certain amount of them are struggling with bulimia, sometimes with anorexia. There's always stress. There's always self-sabotage. And then um, there there are definitely deeper things going on, like uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse in mm-hmm. their past. And, and so these people are really struggling, and they want to be more healthy and... And like you said, it it really is about going back to where did it, where did it all come from, and not that your parents intentionally did this uh, in a way to be malicious or harmful. They were just trying; they were doing the best that they could, for the most part, with the with the tools that they had. But um, as you said, going back and kind of um, finding those hidden beliefs and. Uh, Re, re shifting or reprogramming those beliefs so that um, so that you can become the best person that you can. Absolutely, and it is reprogramming them. Look, we programmed ourselves to believe what we're believing all these years. So why can't we program ourselves to believe something else? You know, from thinking my dad was maliciously hurting me, and today looking at it differently, and we've come to peace with things and realizing. Uh-huh. 
he just did the best he could. I just think he could have done better had he gotten better advice. Right. (laughs) But, you know, it it doesn't make him a bad person. I mean, he was, if I want to see who was constant and steady in my life, this man did everything he could to protect me. And he just didn't know how to do it. You know, when I got sick, he thought I was broken. It it totally destroyed him for years because he was a vice president of quality assurance and engineering. And he just thought, you know, she's a broken fixer. And here he can't fix his own daughter was awful for this for him. And, And the truth is that no one can fix anyone in that place. It's the responsibility of the person who's who's holding these stories, who's who's, you know, kind of in your own world at that point and realize that. In order to be in a position of the bulimic or, or anorexic or anything, we have to be so self-involved and self-consumed to be there. That's the only way to stay sick is for us to be so focused on ourselves. And that is a selfish act, and most people don't quite understand that. It's because the need for significance to be seen is so high that it's sometimes people will do it at any stake. So what happened for me is I'm 18 years old. I have a sudden heart attack. My potassium went so low. I had ulcers. I couldn't keep food in my stomach, let alone water. And I'm rushed into the hospital. And that I'm being rushed in and my dad, and I, he might have said this before, but I never heard of him, turns around and says to me, I love you. And if he said it before, again, I didn't hear it, but this time I did. But there was a switch that went off that said to me, if you're if you're sick, they're nice to you. Mm. And I ended up staying sick for 13 years because I never heard AH after that. I never heard anything bad after that. I was I was more about a worry of keeping her alive, uh-huh. you know. And I say her as if it's not me because that's not who I am today. I you know I was a young beautiful person who really wanted to be loved and wasn't getting the love she wanted. And the only way I knew how to get it was to, the attention and in a positive way, became a secondary gain. I ended up hurting myself, but in doing that, I got more love and attention than I did when I wasn't. So as you're telling your story, and as you were um, giving us the example of the client that you were working with, I can definitely see like the logical order of how these things all play out, and then how you help them discover where that what that belief is and then how to reprogram that. I can definitely see that logical order. So what I'd like you to do is quickly talk about secrets number six and seven and then tell our listeners about the program that you have because I think a lot of them are out there struggling and they know they need your help. But it's so difficult when you're in that spot. It's so difficult to see the forest from the trees that you need somebody from the outside to help you through that process. Absolutely. And you'll love those six and seven because they go right into what we were saying is number six is stop waiting for perfection. And, you know, when you're so focused on yourself, it has to be a certain way. And if it's not that way, it's not good enough. And you, you sometimes you'll just paralyze yourself with not doing anything because it can't be perfect. Or And even if you do do awesome, like I did incredible. I had scholarships through college. I was interning at IBM. I was teaching at Arthur Murray Dance Studios. I mean, I was, in most cases, what you'd consider a superstar. But to me, I never thought it was enough. Um, so it really becomes stop waiting for per- for perfection and I say take tons of imperfect action do it anyway don't look for perfection just do it and perfection even in the dictionary you look it up it really talks about a standard perfect of like being finished and the idea is who set the level of perfect 
you know, where did that even come from? Some of it wasn't even just told by anybody else, but at one point you decided this is what has to happen to be perfect. These are based on your rules and beliefs again. So pretty much getting rid of them and, and taking lots of imperfect action. And number seven is making peace. This is a big one, making peace. Um, practice gratitude and celebrating. And the making peace is peace with yourself. And, you know, there's peace with others, too. I mean, I had to make peace with the person, the people that abused me physically. I had to make peace with, you know, with my with my parents, you know, for the situations that had, came up. I had to make peace with myself because I had a lot of stories that were holding me back. And although something might have happened once, I replayed it for for thousands and thousands of opportunities that affected my life for 20, 30, 40 years, right? Um, so making peace. Practicing gratitude is a big deal because most people are only going to be happy when. I'll be happy when I lose 20 pounds. I'll be happy when I find the right mate. I'll be happy when I make a million dollars. But it's really reversed to what happens in the world. It's like you need to be happy first so that you do find the right mate so that you'd make better choices. A person who doesn't love themselves is not going to make good choices. A person who loves themselves will take better care of themselves and won't make bad choices. And then celebrating. This was so challenging for me because I always wanted things to be a certain way. I didn't know how to celebrate the little things. It was always had to be something big. And if it, and most of the time, I never, it was never good enough. So I never had opportunities to celebrate. So Celebrating is key, and I, I get everybody celebrating on the smallest thing. I mean, I celebrate the fact that I wake up every morning. I celebrate the fact that I have a wonderful man in my life and I, my husband. I celebrate that I have my mom and my dad still around, that I can still communicate with them. I celebrate when I get to see my friends. I mean, I celebrate seeing a flower or a rose or the rain that's going to water them. I find every excuse to celebrate, and that's because I didn't know how to before. I used to wait for something big to happen. And when you do, you don't have more opportunities because the way the universe works is you got to appreciate the little so you get more of it, and then the big stuff comes. So today I celebrate everything and, and truly am blessed because of it. So that's the seven secrets to, to, the self to overcoming self-sabotage and how we help our clients. But we do this through our 10-week transformational programs. And the greatest part about it, and we have weekend retreats, is that it's all online through webcams. Um, I work with people all over the world, been doing this for years. And we find out what the, what's really getting in their way and teach them how to break through the challenges that are weighing them down so they can live an authentic life that's happy, healthy, and free. And we have stories of such magnificent people that really truly were gifted and, and were wonderful but didn't see it before. And once they found their true gift, I mean, their whole lives opened up, whether it be personally, financially, uh, physically, and, so many, and spiritually in so many different areas that we've been able to help guide people. I really believe that, you know, people do the work. We're really what I like to call trusted guides because my whole faculty are people who've walked the walk and who can help people through it. Lisa, how can our listeners find out more about you and where can they get your book? Okay, well, my book you can find on Borders Books or Barnes & Noble or Amazon. It's the number one bestseller there. Um, it's Fine to Fab and it's Seven Secrets of a Successful Woman's Journey Away from Depression, Disordered Eating, and Self-Sabotage. And don't let that fool you, man. I have more men reading the book than women, and that's why we now help men also. Um, I had one gentleman who said that he needed help, and he had tried every 12-step program there was and everything else. And his wife, after he took the program, said, I've seen more changes in you in a couple months than I have in 30 years. 
So you can get the book as well. You can get a free webinar if you go to my website, www.find2fab.com. That's F-I-N-E-T-O-F-A-B.com. And stay connected with us on social media, and we'd love to be able to see where you're at and, and see how we can help. So if you're out there right now and you're driving in your car or you're out there jogging or you're on your bike, I'll make sure that those resources and the links are in our podcast notes so that you can easily find Lisa and you can easily find her book and her programs. Lisa, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has just been an awesome interview and I know that having you on my podcast today is going to spark a lot more people to get real with themselves and to get the help that they really need. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. That wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Lisa Lieberman-Wang. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carrie.